Hello, and of course, Happy New Year. Now, like the 1st of January, today, day one of Chinese New Year, is for many of us a threshold day. It's a day on which to turn our faces toward the future with a sense of freshness and hopefulness, to pray and to seek God's goodness for ourselves, for our family, and for our neighbors. It's a season of celebration, yes, but also a season of momentum. Time to start new things. Time to restart old things. In my particular case, probably about time to re-restart new fitness-related things before I become too much of an old thing to do anything. And this particular year, both the 1st of January and today, the first day of Chinese New Year, have fallen on Sundays when we gather together for worship. And I've actually been struck by how fitting that is. Because, you know, in fact, every single time we gather on a Sunday, it's like we're standing at a threshold. Every week, we hear about God's forgiveness. Every week, we sing of his love and power. Every week, we hear the good news of Jesus. Every week, we ask to be filled with his spirit. And every week, we are sent out into the rest of our lives in the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you, like me, have been feeling for the past month or so like there's a new year every week, maybe lean into that feeling because Every week in church, and not just today, we stand at the threshold, at the end of the old and at the beginning of the new. There's nothing newer than the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus. And to mark this threshold today, I want to take us on a journey through a prayer from the Bible that we find in Psalm 126. The Psalms are like the prayer book of the Bible, and I think they give us two gifts, among others. They give us words, and they give us ways. They give us words to pray when our own words run out. Psalms are often open-ended enough that we can step into them and make them our own in particular moments of our lives. It's worth knowing the Psalms because knowing where to turn in the Psalms in particular seasons of life can really take us deeper and sustain us in prayer. So they give us words, but they also give us ways. They map out ways for us to enter into God's presence. We get to peer into the life of others responding to God, and we see the ways in which we might respond to God today. So let's read Psalm 126 together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Let's pray. Lord, as we walk through this prayer today, may you teach us to pray. Amen. This is a prayer to God in two parts, and you might be wondering, how do they fit together? 
First, it's a celebration of what God has done. And then it becomes almost a a lament, a plea for God to come and act. These two parts almost feel like separate prayers written for two very different moments in life, but they're actually part of a single prayer journey. They map out a way that we can respond to God today. Now, did you clock that the thing tying the two parts of this prayer together is a repeated phrase, almost like a chorus? In the first part, this prayer looks back, beginning with the declaration, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And then in the second part, this prayer looks ahead, beginning with the petition, restore our fortunes, O Lord. And if we boiled this prayer down to just one word, that word would be restoration. This is a prayer to the God who restores. Literally, the Hebrew phrase here could be translated, when God turned the turning for his people. God is a God who turns the turning for his people in the sense that he turns things around for his people and in the sense that he returns to his people that which has been lost. Now, the original situation in which this prayer is prayed is God returning to his people Israel and returning his people to their land after exile under the Babylonians. That's how God has restored the fortunes of Zion on this particular occasion. And of course, that restoration was a reminder, a coming back to the community that God had created at the Exodus when he first liberated his people from slavery in Egypt and made a covenant with them. That's the original situation. But for us praying this today, the canvas is even bigger because as we look back What we celebrate is God's gift of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who turns the turning, not just for one people, but for all people, not just on one occasion, but for all time. In Jesus, God restores. He restores relationship between God and humanity. He restores relationships between families, friends, ethnicities, enemies. He restores bodies and minds and hearts. He restores us when we sin. And he restores the things that are broken and lost. And what Jesus restores us to is nothing less than God's original vision of creation itself. That's the whole story of the Bible. Jesus takes us all the way back to Genesis 1. In Colossians, we hear that through Jesus, all things were created. And in Jesus, all things are held together. And in scripture, we also hear that Jesus is the one who restores all things. He's the one who returns this creation to God. And he's the one in whom all creation returns to what it was made and meant to be. That's who he is. And that's what he does. In Jesus, God restores. That's where this prayer starts, with the big picture, God's restoration. But of course, we know that within that great turning of the turning, there are many smaller turnings. Individual lives are changed. 
People healed, communities impacted, families reconciled, cycles broken, and sins forgiven. And this psalm is also calling us to remember all the particular ways in which God has done his restoring work in our lives. Perhaps that restoration has been an outward change. Those are often easier to recognize and celebrate. But perhaps that restoration has been more of an inward change in this season. Harder to perceive at first, but it's often the slow transformation of someone's mind or heart that creates the most profound restoration in someone's life. Last week, I was talking to a member of the congregation who shared with me that his son has emerged just in the past 18 months from a 20-plus year struggle with depression. And after years of praying and waiting, this family is now encountering God's restoration. Restored life, restored hope, a restored marriage, a restored family, and even the birth of a new child. And that restoration began, not visibly, but invisibly, in the quiet place, reading and praying together with the Bible through the darkness. And it's inspired this family to go on to pray with others, going through similar struggles, looking for their own restoration. And for us today, perhaps there's some particular place where we need restoration. A challenge we're facing in professional life, burden we're bearing in family life, a loss or a lack we feel in personal life. And as we hear about God's restoration, we are invited to our ask God to restore us. That's the invitation of the second part of this psalm, especially. So this psalm is about a God of restoration. But one thing I love about this psalm is that it's also very much about a community, a community of the restored that seeks God's restoring work in the lives of others. That's what the church is, a community in which we celebrate God's restoring work in one another's lives, and at the same time, a community in which we contend for God's restoring work in one another's lives. I know that at this time of year, many of us will be visiting our wider family, some of whom we only see at this time of year. But this is a prayer that gives us a sense that God's people, Zion, are like one big family, an even bigger family, engaged in this restorative task together. I know that might be a headache for some of you. You're probably thinking, I've got enough uncles and aunties to visit already at this time of year. But if you are born again of God, then the church too is your family, and you are part of God's restoring work. Perhaps as we greet one another this Chinese New Year, we can wish one another no greater gift than that God would restore us and restore to us all that he has for us that we have lost. As the psalm tells us, that is our true fortune and our true prosperity. So it's a prayer to the God of restoration, and it invites us to go on this journey of perceiving where he's doing his restoring work in our lives and how we can respond to him. But as we read on in this psalm, what we hear repeatedly is that this psalm tells us where to take that. We hear, first of all, when God restored, but then we go on to hear, then this, then 
that, then the other. And I want to turn to some of those thens now and pause and pick out three stages of the journey of responding to God's work in our lives that is mapped out for us in Psalm 126. In this Psalm, we are invited first to celebrate and secondly, to share and finally, to seek. So first, we are called to celebrate the restoring work that God has already done in us. When God restored the fortunes of Zion, we hear, then we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with shouts of laughter. Then our tongue was filled with shouts of joy. It's like this psalm narrates how we should respond when God restores. We should marvel at what God has done. Perhaps we could even paraphrase this part of the psalm as we had to pinch ourselves to make sure we weren't dreaming. We should smile about it, even laugh about it, and we should shout about it. We shout about it as we worship shouts of joy that thank God for who he is and what he's done in my life and in your life and the life of those around me. And we also shout about it when we talk to others about it, when we share a story or a testimony at church or in connect group or over WhatsApp that encourages others. And you know, the surprising thing about this first stage on the way is that it might take a little bit of intentionality and it might take a little bit of time. Sometimes realizing what God is doing in our lives is a slow burn. Sometimes we need to take time to reflect and discern what he's up to. And that's part of what prayer is for us. I was talking to somebody earlier this week about how weird it is that small children seem to come home from school with next to zero recollection of what they've done all day. Maybe your kids are a little bit like my kids if you have some running around at home. My son is three and when he gets home I say, Angus, what did you learn today? His reply, I don't know. Who did you play with? Don't know. What was for lunch? Don't know. I know because it's all over his face, but apparently he has no idea. Or perhaps an auntie asks, how old are you? Don't know. Or what's your sister's name? Don't know. In fact, if you believe Angus, all his uncles, aunties, and cousins all have the same name. They're all called don't know. And of course he does know. He just hasn't processed it yet. Or he's a little too tired or a little too distracted to tell me until you catch him in a different mood that mood tends to come upon him either right before bed or first thing in the morning, and he wants to tell you everything. Which is a little bit like my prayer life sometimes. Sometimes I'm a little too tired or a little too distracted, or I just haven't had time to pause, reflect, process, and perceive the little things, the little bits of restoring work that God has been doing in my life that day, that week to place my life once again in the bigger picture of the God who sent his son to restore me. And when I do get that time, I often notice what God is up to. Things I didn't see become clear. So the first point is to celebrate. And the second 
is to share this restoring work with others. When I was a kid, my parents used to watch a game show called Catchphrase on the weekend. And I remember the catchphrase of the guy who presented Catchphrase was always this. Say what you see, and when you see it, say it. That's where our psalm goes next. Their tongues were full of shouts of joy. Now, sharing what's, what God is doing in our lives with others doesn't have to be really public or really polished. It's actually just about sharing with others the work that we see God doing. Because when we do that, two things happen. First, saying what we see is just deeply encouraging for others who get to hear about God and what he's doing. But secondly, and perhaps a little bit surprisingly, when we begin to share with others what we see, other people often help us to see an even bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives. Over the past few weeks, I've met up a few times with a student who's been sharing his story with me. And it's only as he shared that together we've been able to piece it all together. And it's just been hugely encouraging for us both to place what's going on in this student's life in the bigger picture of God's restoring work. And we see that in this psalm. Zion's story of restoration is reflected back to them by other people. Notice it says, first, then it was said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And then it's after that, that the people praying respond to what the nations have said by repeating, the Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Again, over the next couple of weeks, many of us may be meeting with lots of friends and family, some of whom will share our faith, though perhaps not all. And I'd encourage you, just say what you see. Share a little bit of what God is doing in your life, perhaps even with those who don't share your faith. Many times in the Psalms, we hear that the nations ask God's people, where is now your God? But in Psalm 126, the nations say the opposite. They say, the Lord has done great things for them. And often people are nudged to explore Jesus and to explore faith when they recognize the Lord has done great things for them. So when you see it, say it. Share with those around you what you feel God is doing in your life. Might be something big and visible, might be something small and invisible, might be something invisible, but biggest of all. Sometimes it's the restoration of our heart and our mind, remember, that leads to the biggest transformation. And as we share, we also receive more back. Now we could stop there. If this Psalm ended at verse three, we'd still think it was a complete prayer, a great prayer. But the psalm we have doesn't stop there. There's a final step. Now the psalm prays, restore our fortunes, O Lord. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. And this is the final step along this journey of prayer and responding to God. 
recognizing the restoring work of God in our lives and in the lives of those around us, our shouts for joy and our rejoicing becomes a place to stand as we continue to seek God's restoring work in other lives or other parts of our lives. From verse four, the psalm pivots from what this God of restoration has done to what this God of restoration will do. And the imagery in this last part of the psalm is all harvest imagery. It's all about crops and dry land and rains and growth. And of course, the thing about harvest is that even though God has provided for the people, each and every year, God must provide for the people again. And so in each and every season, the people must go on trusting, go on praying. We hold on to what God has done as we head into the places or times where we still long for him to move. We pray on the basis of what he has done. We pray, Lord, do it again, or Lord, do it here too. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. And you know, just like celebrating, remembering who God is as we face new challenges doesn't always come naturally. I remember a few years ago, I went on a trip to Italy with my extended family. Now, my dad, he's not exactly the globe trotting type. And as we started looking at places we could go on the first night and someone pointed out a small city called Rimini on the map, my dad suddenly piped up and said, oh, I've been there. He'd completely forgotten about it. He'd never mentioned it, not once, not even to his wife. He couldn't remember when. He couldn't remember why, although he thought it probably had something to do with football, but he was absolutely convinced. That Christmas, we bought him this, which now hangs in the hallway just in case he forgets again. And perhaps we all need to hang some things on the walls of our minds and our hearts to help us remember. That's part of why we celebrate and share what God is doing in our lives, because it reminds us, it calls us back to who God is, and it builds our hope. When we hear at the very start of our psalm that when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, they were like those who dreamed. It's not just that they had to pinch themselves to make sure they were awake. It's not just that. They dreamed because when God moves in our lives, our horizon enlarges and our hope enlarges and we gain a greater capacity to dream, to dare to dream and dare to pray for changed lives, changed relationships, changed situations, to dare to dream and to believe in God's dream of a restored creation. Some of us hearing this are probably in a season of digging deep into our own story and memory of the God of restoration in order to seek his restoring work in an hour of particular need for forgiveness and reconciliation, for transformation, for healing. We're asking God to restore the fortunes of his people again, just as he did before. And if that's you, then we'd love to pray with you in a few moments time. Of course, that might not be 
all of us, but wherever we find ourselves, the call to action I want to leave us with today is to move along the path that Psalm 126 marks out for us, whichever stage you find yourself at. If, like my son, you're a don't know, then ask and wait and celebrate what you find. If you're celebrating, begin to share it. And as you celebrate and share what God has done, seek out what God will do in your own life and in the lives of others around you. Contend for his restoring work in the lives of the people of your community. Amen. And so now shall we take a few moments, wherever we find ourselves today, to wait on God and to invite his Holy Spirit to come. Father, we pray, send your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray in this moment that you would call to mind those things that you have done in our lives that we may not fully see. May we perceive and celebrate your restoring work amongst us. We pray that you would place on our hearts the people who we can share with, share what you're doing so that they would be encouraged and drawn towards you. And lastly, we ask that you would give us the groans of the Spirit in the places where we are seeking and praying for God's restoring work. One thing to notice about the second part of the Psalm, which prays for rain, is that the first irrigation of the seed being sown in this prayer comes from the tears shed by the person doing the sowing. Maybe you're in a season of sowing in tears and God has called you to stand and serve in a dry place and the God of restoration says to you today, those who sow and weep will with joy reap. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, and rest on those who sow in tears. May we hope in you, and may we reap with joy. Amen. And now let's worship together. <laughs>